0: Good morning. It's good being here with you guys this morning. A few weeks ago, um, maybe a couple of months ago, I forgot what the occasion was. It may have been um, Clay and I were uh, part of that officer training, Uh, but whatever it was, it may have been a Soup Sunday or something, but as we were leaving, uh Clay was getting in the car with me and as we were driving back to the house, uh Clay looked over at me and said, "You know, Papa, said, I really love our church." And uh and I thought and I thought that is so good to hear. Um, and I said, "You know, Clay, I I love our church too." And um and so God in this passage and we're going to be looking at Ephesians 4, um and we'll start with verse 1. And we'll go through sixteen, but it it is a picture of God's people and how they engage with one another, um, and as they're as they're engaging in in the context of the gospel, and so it is a beautiful sight because you need to understand that the the church of God, the people of God, it's not an organization, it's not a club, it's not you know something stale. It is it is a living. And working organism. And it's messy and it's flawed. And there's lots of warts of which I'm the the biggest. Um, but it is a great picture of the gospel of Christ being lived out and fleshed out among broken people. And so Paul's addressing this in Ephesians 4. And so as we look at this, um, let me read the passage and then we'll flesh this out and see what does this have to say to us today. Um as it did a couple of thousand years ago to the to the people he was writing it to, so in ephesians four one through sixteen it says this: I therefore, prisoner of the Lord, and this is on page uh, nine seventy seven of your pew Bible, I therefore prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he descended, what does that mean, but he also, or ascended, he also descended into the lower regions of the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that we might, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles and prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceit, deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head in the Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. That's a lot. Uh, it's a great passage. And to understand it and, and really when Paul when Paul comes in here he's saying as a prisoner of the Lord I want to encourage you I want to beg you on I want to urge you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling. And so to understand what he's talking about and he's going to kind of flesh that out. He's going to say this is what that calling looks like. So in order to understand that we have to understand where he's going with it, all right? Where he's come from. And so we have to understand Paul and his background. So think about this. In verse 1, he's saying, I, Paul, a prisoner of the Lord. Why is he a prisoner of the Lord? Why is he a prisoner? Because he's taken the gospel to the Gentiles. Now that's really odd. So he's speaking to Christians, most of whom were Gentiles. They were not Jews. That was his heritage. He, he was a Jew. A well-trained Jew. So you think, it's not, it wasn't that long ago, it's just a few years before this, that these very people that he's saying he's he's urging to walk in a manner worthy of their calling, he's now a prisoner for that. Those were the same people he was locking in chains. Those were the same people he was encouraging people to kill. Think about that. This Paul, who is now in prison because of these Christians, and his love for these Christians, is the same Paul. No, he's not the same. He's a different Paul. He's a new creation Paul. But he was the same one who just a few years earlier were applauding when they were stoning um, uh, Stephen in Jerusalem. And he was actively trying to put Christians in prison, separating families, selling them into slavery, all kinds of things. Wow, that's a change. Not only were, was he... Persecuting the Christians, he was a devout Jew. Now understand this, he, he has now given his life in the gospel to Gentiles. Jews didn't like Gentiles. They hated Gentiles. Gentiles to, to a good Orthodox Jew was no better than a dog. You wouldn't have anything to do with them. You wouldn't go into their home, you wouldn't touch them, you wouldn't have, you wouldn't be friends with them. And yet, these are the people that Paul has laid his life down for. Isn't that incredible? What the gospel does. So, that's Paul's background. Well, let's think about the people he's writing to. In Ephesians 1 and 2, we get a kind of a picture. And and if you look back to Acts 19, when he first took the gospel to these folks... These were a, a hodgepodge of pagans. These were card-carrying pagans. They were worshipping other gods. They were worshipping the prince of the power of the air, Satan himself. They were magicians and sorcerers. When they came to Christ, they were burning their books, their magic books. Such a radical change had come over them. So think about that. Here's a Paul who is a persecutor of Christians and... A uh, uh, Orthodox Jew who hated Gentiles, who's now laying him his life down for those who were once pagans and worshippers of Satan, now who are Christians and worshiping God. It's crazy what the gospel has done. That's amazing, isn't it? And so Paul is saying, think about this. That's our background. This is the context in which Paul is talking to these uh, believers about. An amazing thing has happened. So what is this calling? If we look back to Ephesians 2, it's one of my my favorite passages in all the Scripture. In Ephesians 2, I mean, um, in 1 through 4, it's a great picture of what has happened. He says to them, And you were dead in your trespasses. He's talking to these folks he's talking to here. You were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, Of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them too we all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh. Indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And were what? By nature children of wrath. Because of the rebellion. Because of our self-centeredness. Because of where we were going. We were by the very essence of who we were. Children of wrath. We were enemies of God. Enemies deserving of his full wrath on us—that was who Paul was. That's who they were, and yet my favorite verse in all Scripture says, "But God." That's who you were. But God, being rich in mercy, made us alive together with Him. Wow! And He transferred us to the heavenlies. He, He, in in chapter one, He's saying, "You've been blessed with every blessing in the heavenlies. You have been forgiven." You're holy and blameless in my sight. You are my sons and my daughters. You are my, you are heirs with Christ, so everything belonging to Christ belongs to you. That's their calling. That's what Paul's talking about. Based on that, based on who you were and then who God made you, I want to urge you to walk in a manner worthy of that calling. Worthy means weighty. In other words, it's, he's saying, "I want your life to be weighty, to weigh in the, to weigh as much as you say your, your profession is. So you're saying your profession is in Christ. I want your life to reflect that. I want it to be fleshed out in your everyday, every aspect of your life. You're a new person. You're different. As we used to say with our kids, when they would leave, it says, "Remember your name. So when you leave here, remember who you are." E.V. Hill used to say, and we, I tell our kids this all the time, "Be who you is and not who you ain't." And that's what Paul's saying, "Be who you is, not who you ain't. Be who God made you to be. Flesh it out." But then he begins to give them what a picture of what that might look like. So what is the goal of this fleshing out of the calling? Well, we're going to skip a few verses, and he talks about that a little bit later on in verse 12. He says this. So the the apostles are to equip the saints, what? For the work of ministry, why? For the building up of the body of Christ. So he says, part of your goal of fleshing this out is so that The body of Christ would be built up to be healthy, to be growing. So part of the goal of this fleshing out is so that the people in this room, in application, that we would be healthy, that we would be a healthy church, that we would be a healthy family of God, reflecting His grace and His mercy and His power. With the gospel permeating The Word of God permeating our relationships. That's what he's saying. That's the goal. In verse 13 and 14, he says this, "...until we all attain to the unity of the body, of the the faith, and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ." And so what he's saying here, and he goes on, he says, "...so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine." and human cunning by craftiness and deceitful schemes. So what he's saying in those two verses is, I want not only for the body of Christ to be healthy and growing, I want you to be mature. I want you to grow up. I want you to be a mature son, a mature daughter, not tossed here and there, but wise, understanding my will, understanding my word, understanding my kingdom. In verse 15... He says this, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head in the Christ. So again, he wants us to grow up in every aspect in Christ. He wants us to become more and more and more like Jesus himself. That is the goal. That's what he's talking about. That's what it means to be to walk in a manner worthy of your calling, to flesh this out. That is where he wants us to go. And then lastly in verse 16. He says this, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint which is uh with which it is equipped, when every part each part is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. He wants all of us pulling in the same direction. He wants all of us operating in the way we were created to work as a body. Now, have you ever who who's had a broken toe or a broken something that was pretty minor. Now, when you broke it, did it, no long, did it no longer become minor? It became pretty major. You don't realize how much you need a shoulder until you have shoulder surgery. And when the shoulder's not operating as it should, the whole body aches. The whole body is affected. You, I can't, I can't do what I was supposed to do with my body, with my shoulder in the sling or my shoulder injured. As as a people of God, every single one in this room have been called by God not both individually and corporately, but in the context of of our church is to operate fully the way God created you to operate. So that the and when we're not the whole church suffers. Just like a body suffers when you break your toe. No matter how small you think you are. When you're not healthy, the church isn't healthy. That's what he's talking about. That's the goal. So what's the context of this walking out our calling? It's our relationships. Isn't that interesting? Interesting. Oftentimes, especially as Americans, we look at our relationship with God as an individual thing. We look at it as God engages with me, I have a relationship with God, and it's He and I. We're doing it together. He's my co-pilot, or my pilot, whatever you want to call it. Certainly, there are applications for us individually. But most of Scripture was not written to us as Individuals. Most of Scripture was written to us as a people of God, as a nation, as citizens of a, of a larger kingdom. It is not individual. And so isn't it interesting when he says, I want, you to, I want you to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. I want you to live out. I want, to, I want you to be who you is, not who you ain't. Not in the context of you just being your on your own. But the context of growing up maturing, becoming more like Christ, becoming healthier, is in the context of the relationships that I've given you in my body, in the church. That's where I want it fleshed out. That's where I want to grow you, not individually out by yourself, but in the context of the relationships that he's given us. Now, this is not a kumbaya moment, okay? We ain't sitting around a campfire holding hands and going, you know, do Lord, oh, do Lord, oh, do remember me. This is messy. This is hard. If we look back and we can assume that that many of the churches are similar to this. In Colossians 3, he says, when it's talking about the gospel, there's no distinction. In God's kingdom, there's no distinction between Greek and Jew. There's no distinction between barbarian. Barbarian means you're a foreigner. You don't speak Greek or Latin. You babbled. That's why they called you a barbarian. You're a foreigner. You spoke a different language. So there's no distinction between Greek and Jew, barbarian, Scythian. Scythians were the meanest people on the planet. They were the hell's angels. And yet some of those guys were in the church. And slave and free man. Can you imagine the tension between two people, one is the master, one is the slave, But yet they're both believers in the context of the same church. Wow. This is not easy. This is not a good feel a feel-good story. This is hard. This is when when Paul says, I want you to be diligent, committed to the unity of the Spirit and the bonds of peace, he says, I want you to roll up your sleeves and let's get to work, because this is not, this is hard. This is hard. And so he gives some character traits. So he's, the context is in the body of Christ, the relationships of God's people. And yet he he tells us, well, the only way this is going to work is if you become more like this. And he gives some character traits. He says, as we look in, in the verse, in verse 2, it says, So I want you to uh, walk in a manner worthy of your calling that you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience Bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. So humility versus pride. and gentleness versus harshness. With patience versus impatient. With bearing one another in love versus being easily put off by someone else. Those are the character traits he desires to be lived out and grow in us. Tim Lane says this about humility. It's the ability to see and point out your own sins and shortcomings before you point out the sin and the shortcomings of others. So he's saying, you look at your own heart and you point out your sin and your shortcomings before I go to to Kevin and say, Hey, Kevin, can we have a conversation? Because I feel like you're bringing some sin and shortcomings into our relationship. And I would like to point that out. That's the way I would do it. And yet he says no. Neil, in humility, relate to Kevin in saying, what am I, what, what shortcomings, failure, sin am I bringing into the relationship so that I can be humble and remember the grace of God in my life so that I can give the grace of God to Kevin and vice versa. Humility. But not only that gentleness. And and Lane again gives this definition in a little bit different twist. He says, someone who has their, uh, who has their gifts, abilities, and passions bridled by the gospel. Where people feel empowered, not manipulated. Someone who encourages, not discourages. I sensed this yesterday when Ivy and I were driving. I was convicted about it with both these. We're driving back from Birmingham and, and, and as a, you know, a loving father, I decided I'd point out something that I was concerned about, one of her flaws. <laughs> and, and I saw within, I mean a millisecond, the effect that had on her heart. It did not encourage her. She did not say, oh thank you dear father, <laughs> for pointing out something that I'm struggling with. <laughs> I really appreciate your concern for me. Oh, how I wish other daughters could have a father just like you. No. I discouraged her. I was critical. I was harsh. Not gentle. And certainly not humble. And he says, And be patient. And this is, the idea here is, when someone sins against you, be patient when wronged, and be willing to look over an offense. We're not we're not called by God to call out everything that's ever done to us. That is not our call. But to be patient when wronged. To apply the gospel where the gospel needs to be applied. And then bearing with one another in love. Now, bearing with one another in love is pretty funny to me. Because it literally means put up with one another. Just put up with each other. Those little falls, those little things that irritate you and that, that were, you know, quirky when you first got married and now are real annoyances after you got married. Put up with those. Bear under the weight of those. Bear under it. Let the, hold that up. And don't be easily put off. And that whole idea and the love is the agape love and it's defined like this. And he says, these things, this humility, this gentleness, This patience, this forbearing is in the context of an agape love that is only empowered by God. That's the only way we get it. It's not natural to us. And the definition is this. It refers to an unselfish, outgoing affection or tenderness for another without necessarily expecting anything in return. It seeks a person's highest good on the basis of a decision of the will and an inclination of the heart. It's not, hey, you no, know, Paul did something good to me, I think I'll love him in return. Or I'll love him and I'll love him hoping that he will return the favor. No. God calls me to love Paul and him to love me when there's no reciprocity. When there's no expectation of return, it's because I just seek His good. I seek His highest good. Regardless of how it affects me. Because that's what God does. So when we look at these qualities, who does that look like? Does it look like me? I guarantee you not. Jennifer can tell you. You know, Neil, you got some things to work on there, brother. Who's it pointing to? Jesus. Jesus embodied all of these. In Philippians two, three through eight, it's talking about do nothing from selfishness or the empty conceit, but let each of you consider one another as more important than themselves. And not merely consider your own interests, but the interests of others. Why? Because that's what God did through His Son. Jesus had every right to be worshipped. He was the Creator. He spoke, and the creation burst into existence. And yet, He didn't consider that right as something to be. Its to be realized here, but he made himself the very nature of a servant, a slave. And Paul's saying, you need to be like him. He was gentle. He has the power of the universe at hand. And yet, when he's dealing with my brokenness and my sin, he's gentle. Not calling all of his wrath on me, but withholding and giving love. That's Christ. Christ. He's patient, understanding. He's a, he's a, he's a high priest who understands me, according to Hebrews. And he's patient, understanding that I struggle with my flesh. I struggle with my sin. I struggle with my idolatry. I struggle with the world. I struggle with what people think of me. And yet he's patient. He's chipping away, but he's patiently chipping away. He's at work. But He patiently does that so that I can be made like Him. That is what He does. That is what He's called us to. But He's not only called us to that character, He's also called us to serve us. So it's not that He wants just as simple. He wants to change us and make us like Him. But He also wants us to be like Him in the sense that we're pouring our lives out for others. In 1 Peter, he talks about this idea of giftedness. He says... As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. So think of it like this. God in heaven wants to bless you. He wants to bless you and pour his grace out on you. He can do that any way he wants. He chooses to use Shannon. He uses. He chooses to use Shannon Smitherman to do it. In one day. And then he may choose Clay to do it in another, on another day. Then Matt Brock to do it on the next day. They're gonna do it differently. They're all pouring out God's grace and it's all, and it's varied in multifaceted forms because that's who God is. And that's what he calls us to do is to pour our lives out in service. Because guess what? When we do that, that's when we're most satisfied. That's when we're most complete. That's when we're most like him. So he's called us to both change of character and change of our service. To pour our lives out for him, and then he says this as we close in verse eight through thirteen. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. And saying he ascended that. What does it mean by that He also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above the heavens, that He might fill all things. He's saying, Jesus Christ has won the battle. And it gives a picture of a general in the Roman legions who has defeated the enemy and is coming through Rome with all of the captives lined up in front of him, parading them in, in the city to the cheers of his people. And then as he's, as he's proceeding in parade through the city, they're passing out the loot of the, of the conquered kingdom. That's the picture that Paul is giving these Christians. He's saying, you've seen this. That's what Jesus has done. He is a great general, has defeated the enemy, he's defeated Satan and his host, and he's marching them in victory parade in front of you to the cheers of his people. And as he's going, he's handing out gifts. Now it's interesting the gifts that he's handing out. He says this, what are those gifts? And he gave, and he gave the apostles and the prophets. And he gave the evangelists and the shepherds or pastors and teachers. Those are the gifts that He's given His people. Is that interesting to me? He said, I want to bless my people and the way I'm going to bless my people so that they will be mature in all things, so that they would live out their calling is I'm going to give them apostles and I'm going to give them prophets and I'm going to give them evangelists and I'm going to give them pastors and teachers. Why is that important? What's the role of all those people? All those men? It's to teach and to preach and to press into the Word of God For God's people. Why is that important? Romans 12.2 Don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed. How are we transformed? How are we made transformed into Christ? How how do we become more like Christ? Through the renewing of our minds. How are we renewed in our minds? Through the preaching and teaching of God's Word. And He's given apostles and, and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers to do that. Those are the gifts He's given to us. It's an amazing thing that God has done for us. So they are to preach and teach the Word, reminding us of the Gospel of Christ, which transforms us. And they are to equip us for service. Because that's how the body grows. As we expend expend ourselves for others, as we are ministers, conduits of God's grace... And all the various ways that He desires to do it in our lives, they help us identify those gifts and exercise those gifts. So that the body of Christ would be strong. So that you would grow. So there's two pictures here. So that you as an individual believer, son or daughter of the King, would grow and become more like Christ. So that the body of Christ, all of us corporately, would grow and become more like the body of Christ. Why? So that the world would see a radical difference a magnificent picture of God's kingdom. In John seventeen, twenty two and twenty three says the the glory and, and this is Jesus praying to the Father on behalf of his disciples The glory that you have given me I have given them that they may be one even as we are one. Remember what he said earlier that we would that we would be diligently keeping the unity the bond the unity of the spirit, the bond of peace? I want them to be one as we are one. I want them to experience community just like I experience community with you in the Spirit. I and them and you and me that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. The gospel. The best way we can take the gospel to the world is for us to be the people in the church that God's called us to be. Because as they see the gospel at work in us, they are enamored by the King who made that happen, so that the world would come to know him through us. It's an amazing picture of what God has done. So the result a healthy body, verse fifteen and sixteen, that we'd be transformed into the image of Jesus, and that we'd be an attractive witness to the world of God's glory and his magnificence. That is why we walk in a manner worthy of our calling. The gospel of grace changing us so that we operate and relate to one another in the context of the gospel, so that his name would be made great, so that others would know him and his kingdom would grow. What's your view of your body? Is this your church? Do you love your church? Are you engaged in your church? Are we experiencing God's grace through your gifts? God desires all of us, every single one of us, every age, to be part of the body, to give in our lives to Him, through giving our lives to each other, so that His name would be made great, and so that we would be deeply satisfied. Because we're doing what God designed us to do. Let us pray. Father, thank You for Your people. Thank You for what You've done. In our church, thank you for using this church in my life, in the life of my family. And Lord, I pray that we'd be all that you've called us to be. And Father, I pray for these new officers, that they would understand the great privilege it is to lay down their life for your church, for your people. I pray that you'd use their gifts so that the church would grow, so that the church would be healthy, so that the church would be a mirror of your great, your greatness and your grace. In Jesus' name. Amen.